You are listening to a Writers at Stanton podcast. Every month, Stanton Library hosts some of the world's most exciting writers and thinkers to discuss their latest books. Thank you for joining us. Bookshop, welcome to the library and to the Writers at Stanton program. I would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we meet today and pay my respects to their elders past and present as well as to emerging leaders. My name is Madeleine Berglund and I'm from the team here at Stanton Library. Today I have the pleasure of introducing Benjamin Stevenson, here to talk about his new book, Everyone on This Train is a Suspect. Benjamin Stevenson is an award-winning stand-up comedian and author. His first crime novel, Green Light, was shortlisted for the Ned Kelly Award for the Best Debut Crime Fiction. And his second novel, Either Side of Midnight, was shortlisted for the International Thrillers Writer Award for the Best Original Paperback. Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone, his third novel, was a huge bestseller and has so far been sold in 27 territories around the world. It will soon be adapted into a major HBO TV series. It was shortlisted for the Dimmick's Book of the Year 2022, the ABIA General Fiction Book of the Year 2023, and the Book People's Fiction Book of the Year 2023, as well as being named as one of the Sunday Times Best Crime Novels of 2022. His new novel, Everyone on This Train is a Suspect, was released in October. Benjamin has sold out live shows from the Melbourne International Comedy Festival all the way to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, and has appeared on ABC TV, Channel 10, and the Comedy Channel. Please give a warm welcome to Benjamin Stevenson. Thank you, Manny. Hi, everybody. It's nice to be here. Um, as she said, I'm Benjamin Stevenson, and I wrote a book called Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone, which is not a memoir, in case anyone hasn't read it. And then my new book, Everyone on This Train is a Suspect, which came out about six weeks ago. Um, just to canvas the room, just in case there's spoiler aversion, has anyone here read Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone or... OK, or Everyone on This Train is a Suspect? OK, awesome. Cool. Uh, well, I'll talk about both books a little bit um, because I think they inform the other. The Everyone on This Train is a standalone sequel, um, which I'll get into, but it's a, it's a sort of an homage to Golden Age crime fiction and one of the real keys of that is that you can pick it up and put it down at any part in sort of Agatha Christie's kind of series of books you know Poirot doesn't have any major character arcs that kind of mix it up you can pick them up anywhere so I really wanted the same detective new case kind of feel um, but the second book everyone on this train is a suspect is about Ernest Cunningham our narrator of the first book has been invited on the GAN the famous train between Adelaide and Darwin and the GAN is holding the Australian Murder Mystery Writers Festival. And they've invited six crime writers to go on the train and talk about murder mysteries. Now, on the first night, one of the writers is murdered. And the remaining five writers decide that because they have a career in writing crime fiction, they must be the best placed people on the train to try and solve it. So they take on the personas of all of their fictional detectives to try and put their skills to the test and solve the murder. But the problem is that if everybody knows how to solve a murder, then certainly one of them knows how to plot one and get away with it. So how do you find a killer on a train where every single one of the suspects knows how to get away with murder is the pitch of the new book. Um, like I said, 
so I'll take you back. March 2022 was when Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone was published. And I started writing that sort of late 2019. I started plotting it. But really, March 2020, which we all remember as a pretty significant time in the world. And what I'd had was I'd written two novels before, as Maddie said in my intro, Green Light and Either Side of Midnight, which were straight down the line crime novels. And I wanted to sort of spread my wings a little bit. And I wanted to sort of reflect on... Um, how I could make this fun. I didn't want it to be super gritty. I wanted it to be a really enjoyable roller coaster and be a lot of fun because I was writing this March 2020. We're watching the world crumble around us. I was thinking, well, you know, what's a bookshop going to be like in three years? Which sounds a bit fatalistic now, but we were all thinking it. Um, so I wanted to have a lot of fun with it. And what I found was in flicking back through the kind of classic murder mysteries, um, I discovered this thing called the Detection Club, which was a group of writers that would meet up in London and talk about how they put together mysteries and they were a little club and they had a little oath and the oath says that you can't use any mumbo jumbo or jiggery pokery or, or supernatural kind of things and we pledge that our detectives will follow these rules and give you a fair play murder mystery and the members of that club were Agatha Christie, G.K. Chesterton, Ronald Knox, Dorothy L. Sayers among others. And the club still goes today. Um, and they used to meet. And that little oath is on a plaque in their boardroom. And I just thought that was so cool. I thought it was really cool that these famous writers were all getting together and having lunch and talking about how to write perfect murder mysteries. And then I found that Ronald Knox had written a series of Ten Commandments of detective fiction, which were the perfect rules to writing the perfect murder mystery in the 1930s. And those rules are fairly self-explanatory. They're anything that you would have seen that relates to what we call a fair play mystery, which is a mystery that plays fair with the reader and doesn't trick. So the rules are things like that the detective themselves can't commit the crime, that we can't see anyone's thoughts, who the detective himself or herself is not privy to, um, that you can't have a set of identical twins if you don't introduce it fairly at the start, can't come out of nowhere at the end. You can only use one secret passage, which I thought was quite good. And they sort of sum up the 1930s, and what I realised was, and I love crime fiction, I love modern Australian crime fiction as well, but every single book I was reading was breaking every single one of those rules. So I set myself the challenge of, you know, uh, of trying to see if I could write a modern murder mystery that had classic bones. Could I follow every single one of these rules and still deliver a really twisty, fun murder mystery. And that's how everyone in my family came about. It's a, a locked room mystery where a family has a reunion at a ski resort and they start getting picked off by a serial killer. But in their backstories, all of them have killed before. So in a family of killers, how do you find a murderer is the sort of question. But really, I just wanted to have fun. And, um, and that was helped by wanting to move away from the grittiest, grittiness, gritty, sort of gruesome murders and find fun ways to kill people, for a better way of saying it. Um, so my murderers are very inventive, um, but they're not particularly gruesome, and they sort of go in that classic kind of vein. And one of the things that I did decide while doing this was I wanted to take a few risks. Again, just putting in my headset of I'm sitting at my desk, it's March 2020, I don't know what book publishing is going to look like, I've got a book contract, I've got the chance to write a book for this publisher and I'm excited by it, but I'm like, well, what if, what if this is my last book? What if I don't write another book after this? What if the world changes and I have to get a different job and, and you know, all this kind of stuff is going through my head? Um, which is not as depressing as it sounds because how I responded to that was if this is my last book, if I don't write another one, which, spoiler alert, I did, um, but what would I regret not doing in this book? 
Now, every writer has a drawer. Every writer has a desk drawer, either mentally or physically, which has, it has one old book that they never published that will never see the light of day in there, but it also has every idea that they've ever had that they have thought one of the following two things. That's too hard and I'm not good enough a writer or that's not me, someone else would do it better. Right, and we all have those ideas as writers. We sit there, you might sit there and you might think, right, I'm a crime writer, I want to write a murder mystery, I want to set it in a small rural town. And you might think, Jane Harper is very good and that's very intimidating. That goes in the too hard drawer and you never touch it. So I'd had all these ideas that I'd constantly, across the course of my writing career, be putting in the too hard drawer. And when it came to writing Family in March 2020, I opened the drawer and I just shook it out. And I thought, if I don't write another book, I'm not going to regret not doing any of these ideas that I had. So those ideas included making it funny, doing a golden age, setting it at the snow, giving away the page numbers on which everybody dies in the first chapter. Ernest says to you, if you're just here for the good bits, people die on page 21, page 26, 312. And he goes through, and it's accurate, and it links up with the pages. My type said I wanted to kill me. But those kind of ideas that you don't know whether they're going to work until you try them, but they might feel really intimidating. And what I found was it gave the novel this real kind of freshness and kind of verve and stuff that people hadn't seen before. Another idea is that the narrator is in first person, and he will sort of turn to the reader and address you directly and say things like, I know where we're up to in the mystery. Have you thought about these clues? Maybe you might want to think about this and then I'll help you find the killer together. And that's a real part of the golden age fair play mysteries is that they're all puzzles. They're all games that you are playing, the author and the reader are playing together. And so my first person narrator who talks to you, what he's really doing is he's giving you the rules of the game. He's giving you the rules of the puzzle so that you can solve it alongside him. Which, as an aside, in terms of solving books, in terms of solving murder mysteries, um, I believe that 5 to 10% of people should be able to figure out every good murder mystery. If, if 5 to 10% of people can't figure it out, it's not fair. The author didn't give you enough clues. If you've ever finished a book and wanted to throw it at the wall because there's a surprise set of identical twins in it, um, then that's not playing fair. So I want you to solve it. I want to give you all of the pieces that if you sat down and you wrote them all out and you thought about it, that you could put the killer together and solve it for yourself. That said, I'll also solve it for you. If you're not that type of reader, then I'll have the detective stand up in the library, literally in the first book, and explain all of the motives and actions and clues of the book so that it's all there for you. So it's kind of either way, and that's um, part of what that kind of fourth wall-breaking first-person narrator does uh, for that book. But the thing is, um, yeah, that was in the two hard draw, so I wanted to shake it out and give it a go. Um, the other thing is that I've been a stand-up comedian for 15 years. I'm not really showcasing it here. Haven't got huge laughs yet, but we'll get there. Um, so I've been a stand-up comedian for 15 years, and when I published my first crime novel, Greenlight, when I wrote it, I really wanted people to like it. That was all I wanted, which sounds quite simple, but I was so desperate for people to like me as a writer, for, for it to be a good crime novel, that I was completely putting it in a different silo to any kind of comic sensibilities that I'd spent a whole career developing as a stand-up comedian. So Greenlight Neither Side of Midnight, the bones of the new books are in there, but they're very serious crime novels. I was very interested in being taken seriously as a writer. So when I came to write Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone, I decided that I didn't care if everyone liked my book, right? I only wanted one person to like my book. One person absolutely loving your book and it being their favourite book is better than a thousand people liking your book. That's what I decided when I sat down to write Family. And in reality, that one person really is me. 
Um, and so I'm writing for me. And then when, I, when we published it, I discovered that there are a lot of people like me who are just like me. And so writing it so that one person would love it actually made that thousand people like it instead of the other way around being, God, I hope a thousand people like it. And then everybody sort of says, yeah, it's pretty good. I'm halfway through it. I never finished it, all that kind of thing. So I just decided to try and write for that one ideal reader. Um, comedy is very similar to crime. It's all about tension, setting tension, and when you break tension. So it's a skill that I was really doing myself a disservice by leaving behind. And, you know, a classic comedy rule is a rule of three, right? You need to drop in a punchline three times, and then when you return to it at the end, it's funny. And the rule is that it's funny the first time, it's funnier a little bit the second time. The third time you say it, it's not funny at all. And then the fourth time, it's the funniest. And that's my rule that I use for dropping clues in crime novels. You'll see everything between three and four times because it's important. Um, just a side note for mystery lovers, I really hate it when a whole book turns on a single clue that's only been mentioned once and the narrator hasn't thought about it. That's part of that kind of 5 to 10% not playing fair kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that was kind of how I came to write a book that was a murder mystery but has a little bit of fun and humour in it. Um, and one of the rules, actually, with putting humour in murder mysteries, because I get asked this question a little bit, and obviously the kind of light-hearted murder mysteries, some people call them cosies, but the cosies are a little bit lighter even still. But the Richard Osmonds, films like Knives Out, all those kind of things, um, Robert Thorgood, um, those kind of books, one of the things... People say, well, how do you put comedy in a crime novel? And there's a really fine line because the books, all those books and my books, aren't comedies. They're crime with humour in them. They're murder mysteries with humour in them. If, if a crime book is an outright comedy, it tips into farce, which is a perfectly valid kind of genre, but it's a bit more over the top. It's a bit more zany. It's a bit more comical. You know, it's the difference between Knives Out and the Adam Sandler murder mystery movie. I don't know if you know the comparison but haven't really hit my target demo with that comparison but um, it's the difference between those kind of things and the rule with that for me when I'm writing the book because people ask how much comedy do you put in and how do you kind of find the balance and it's tricky the key with comedy is you overwrite it and you pare it down so the final book has a lot less jokes in it than the first version of the book because I'm putting all the jokes in and seeing what sticks and then I only leave the best ones the best ones that don't stand in the way of the plot that's a real key for me I can never have a joke in the book if it gets in the way of the mystery or the plot. The other thing is that all of the lightness, all of the comedy and the humour, and you'll find this with the Richard Osmonds as well, it comes from the characters and it comes from the characters' perspectives. That's all of the comedy. There is no comedy in the plotting. So my personal rule is that no one can die by slipping on a banana peel because that kind of transcends it into that different genre. So that's how I kind of find the balance um, I didn't know it would work. When I finished Everyone in My Family killed, Has Killed Someone, I kind of hoped that it would connect with some people. I was really proud of what I'd written. I thought it was really different. I thought I hadn't seen anything like it before. But I had no idea whether it would work. And at this time, when I finished that book, the Thursday Motor Club wasn't out yet and Knives Out wasn't out yet either. So the genre sort of didn't exist the way that it does now. So we're talking about a book... Um, me and my publisher and we're kind of we're chatting it through and we're thinking about how to position it and all this kind of thing. Um, and then the genre started breaking open. These kind of books kind of published. And we started to think, okay, we might have something here. And then the moment that I really knew it was that in October 20... 
21, the book went to the Frankfurt Book Fair and we got a couple of bits of interest from various international territories. And that was really exciting for me. I thought that was fantastic. I think we sold in the UK um, and a couple of languages. And I thought, that's brilliant. That's the most success I've ever had in a book. Amazing, um, that's so great. And then still thinking in the back of my head, God, are people gonna like it? Are people gonna get it? Are people gonna find it funny? And at the Frankfurt Book Fair, what happens is you send a PDF of your book around and everybody kind of reads it. But everybody's mates with everybody. So books aren't that hard to get your hands on if you say, oh, do you have that new crime novel about this? Um, could I have a copy because I work for this person, blah, blah, blah. So on January 2nd, I get a call from uh, my film agent in LA and he says, we've got interest from a UK film company and they might like to do a movie on it. And I said, yes. And he said, we haven't given you the offer yet. And I said, I don't care, yes, right? <laughs> movie interest, let's do it. And he goes, yeah, I wasn't quite sure, you know, kind of how to play this. And we hadn't gone out, we hadn't explored the film options yet. We hadn't even had that conversation. And he goes, but seeing this, this is in our lap, um, why don't you meet with them this afternoon um, on their UK time zone and then give me 24 hours and I'll kind of see if there's anything else. And then, so I met with them, it was great, and I was like, okay, this is 100% what we're doing. And then the next morning at 6 a.m., I get an email from him and he says, clear your schedule for two weeks, you're meeting everybody. And we just met producer after producer after producer after streamer after studio, and it was amazing. And I was like, oh, my God, people really like this book. There's something in here that they really connect with and have fun with. Um, and then at the end of the day... Um, yeah, we went with HBO and, and made up stories, which is Bruno Papandreou's company. They made Big Little Lies, The Undoing, um, The Dry film, um, because Bruno's based here, which is fantastic to have the Australian connection, and um, HBO, obviously, are HBO, so it's hard to say no to them. Um, but that was really fun, and that was really interesting. And the, the, one of the things that came out of that was that everybody started asking me, well, what are you doing next? Is Ernest coming back? Um, and so I had to sort of come up with an idea that would bring Ernest into a new novel or story for, for all the people who are asking. Um, if the first book is a book that knows it's a book, because Ernest talks you through the book and tells you it's a mystery, the second book is a sequel that knows it's a sequel. So in the world of my narrative, Ernest, having gone through the murders in the first book, has written a book about them, and he's published it. And in the second book, he's trying to write his second novel and he's worried that it will be a bit shit. So there's a very thin veil between me and the character in this second novel. And so that's how he gets invited on this Writers' Festival. Um, and I set it on the train because obviously doing an homage to Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express was kind of irresistible when I'm working in this golden age genre. Um, but it's a very fresh Australian spin. You know, there's no plot elements from, from that book or anything, so don't worry, you'll still be surprised by the twist. Um, and I love a locked room. absolutely love a locked room, but as an author, it can feel quite restrictive. Once you lock everyone in there, there's nowhere for them to go. And one of the pleasures of it is that you take six people with various tensions, six to ten. I try and do my suspects between six and ten people. And you set their various tensions, you lock them somewhere, and you see what they do to it each other. Like as an author that's quite freeing, you kind of wait for those things to explode, that powder keg. Um, so locking them in a room is really fun, but then you can't move them around, which is quite frustrating. But the great thing about a train is that it moves them for you. So you get all of the landscape of Australia, you get the mangroves of Darwin, you get the Red Desert, you get the dairy farms of Adelaide. All of that builds into the scope of a novel and makes it feel more refreshing and interesting to write about for me as a writer. So the train was very, very tempting. The setting 
with the authors and the behind the scenes of publishing was really, really exciting for me as well because I think that, you know, the first book I wanted to have a little bit of affectionate roasting towards murder mysteries and this one I wanted to have a little bit of affectionate roasting towards the people who write murder mysteries. And the only way to kind of roast somebody or make fun of them is to really, really love it. Love it and love them and do it respectfully and affectionately. Um, and the core idea was that, well, a murder mystery writer would make the perfect murderer, so how do I turn that into a plot? But once I started adding people to the train, you know, there's, there's fans of the authors on there, there's a literary agent who's a real piece of work, and when I sent in the book, I had to say to my literary agent, just so you know, this isn't you. <laughs> there's a publisher who's a real piece of work, and when I sent it to the publisher, I had to say the same thing. There's no librarians, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm going to have to set the next one in a, in a library. Um, but yeah, I found it really fun to kind of use all the architect, all, all the archetypes of authors. And um, authors, we're very, very petty people, right? Authors in Australia are the most loveliest people in the world. But um, not, not but. I will speak from personal experience. We all have this ego, right? You're putting your heart on the plate with a book. It's everything that you wrote that you think is good, and you're giving it to people to write. It's a very kind of fragile thing, and so. Inside, you can always sort of feel little chips away. Any, anything that happens to you, any, a bad review or whatever, um, those kind of hit the writer's ego in a very unique way. And I was wondering, well, is this motive for murder? You know, it's not, it's not motive for murder in the real world, but in a book, is a one-star Goodreads review, which is a plot point in this book, a motive for murder? Um, and so I started to look into that, and I started to really have fun with that um, and what the authors would kill each other for. One of the uh, plot points in the book is that maybe one of the things worth killing for is the blurb on the front cover, the little words from another author. And... Um, on my book, Jane Harper generously gave me a quote. And in the book, Jane Harper becomes an in-universe character because one of the characters has a Jane Harper quote on the cover of their book. Uh, and then there's another author that doesn't quite get the quote that they're hoping for, and maybe that is motive. So I was just playing around, just having a lot of fun with the behind the scenes um, in that. And it was, it, was, it was really great. And every author who's read it, nobody's been offended yet, which is fantastic. But I will say that they're quite catty to each other, right? I don't know if anyone's read Yellowface. Um, I don't know if anyone's read Yellowface, which is a satire of the publishing industry. Um, it's very, very good. It was published in the US about middle of the year here as well, um, an American writer. And it's very, very good. And the authors in that book are really, really mean to each other. And the authors in my book, sometimes they're really mean to each other. But I will defend it by saying that every single thing that somebody says to someone in this book that sounds a little bit catty either has been said to me, I've overheard, or I've said myself. So um, it's all real. It's all real enough. Um, and keep in mind, I've worked in two industries, stand-up comedy and authorship. You can guess where either of the insults um, come from that. Um, I took the train, I took the GAN to do some research for the book, which was really, really fun. It was really crucial because I'd sort of plotted out the murder mysteries. By the way, if anybody's wondering whether I plot or not, I plot very extensively. I think when you've got a book with codes and puzzles and ciphers, like this book has, you know, anagrams, all those kind of golden age puzzles and mysteries that are really, really fun in a book, you have to know the answers before you start writing them. Um, generally what I do, I said before, I've got about six to ten suspects, and out of that I would know the main murderer slash murderers, um, and I would know sort of five out of seven of the red herrings, right? And by doing that, it gives me the structure that I need to write a really good murder mystery that kind of speaks to you, but it also gives you 
the kind of flexibility as a writer to discover partway through a novel that, oh, this character would have done this because of this and it not ruin your whole structure because they need to do this for plot reasons. You know when you feel in a book that a character's just acting a certain way to get them to a certain place? Um, I find that that kind of structure with a little bit of flexibility helps me avoid that. Um, so yes, I plotted it all out and I get on the train and immediately the corridors are too narrow for one of the action scenes that I want to have. I don't really have action scenes, but people were going to run through the train and um, the corridors were too narrow and I thought, oh, all right, I've got to fix that. The other problem was the locks are all on the outside of the door. Um, uh, so you can't lock... Sorry, they're all on the inside of the door, so you can't lock a room. You can't leave a room and lock it, which, when you're hoping to have some dead bodies pile up inside a train carriage, is quite a crucial element of my plot. So to solve that, I was going around the train and I was asking every staff member, I'm like, so which doors have locks on them? Just tell me which doors have locks on them then, because ours don't have locks on them. Maybe, just hypothetically, does the driving carriage have a lock on it? And if somebody was to sort of hijack that and take it over... Would, that, would you be able to do that? And they're just looking at me like, this is very strange. <laughs> and then I was like, will you take me into the kitchen in the restaurant carriage? Can I see the kitchen? Does the kitchen have a lock on it? Does the meat freezer have a lock on it? Could you put a body in there? <laughs> and then I remembered to tell them I was researching a novel, which I should have led with. Um, but they were so helpful. They were so great. By the end of the trip, they were coming up to me over breakfast and they'd say, I've been up all night and let me show you where I'd hide a body. <laughs> and they'd take me through. So there's a lot of reality in the book that kind of builds in from that. Where they put the dead bodies in this in the novel is accurate. That's where they would put the dead bodies on the actual train. Um, and then we sent the novel to the people who run the can. Um, I thought to check that we weren't going to get sued because we'd, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We'd... we'd, we'd We'd made a mockery of their wonderful train journey, journey by piling up the bodies and, you know, having all this stuff happen. And they emailed me back and they said, we absolutely love it, would you come on it? Would you come on it, on it and give a talk about the book that's set on the GAN on the GAN? <laughs> and so I just got back from that last week and I'm on there doing a talk about a writer doing a talk on the GAN... <laughs> that gets murdered on the GAN. I'm like, this is some Inception-level stuff. Um, yeah, but it was, it was... I hope I've done good justice of, um, you know, representing the train properly and sort of finding that line between reality and fiction. The one thing about writing a book set on a train is that people who like trains, they really like details. They're big fans. So... Um, you know, I wanted to get things as right as possible, but also it's fiction, so if I had to move stuff around so that the murder worked better or that the plot gets better, again, my rule for comedy comes into my rule for research. Nothing gets in the way of the plot is my rule. So I would move things around, and there's an apology to train fans in the book. Um, I'd like to just close it off with reading a little bit of the book, um, if, if you'd like, and I'll be up the back signing books, and Jay from Constant Reader has given his time today to sell some books, so if you'd like to buy one from him, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. I would appreciate it too. Um, thank you for coming and listening. I really appreciate it. Chapter one. So I'm writing again, which is good news, I suppose, for those wanting a second book, but more unfortunate for the people who had to die so I could write it. I'm starting this from my cabin on the train as I want to get a few things down before I forget or exaggerate them. We're parked, not at a station, but just sitting on the tracks about an hour from Adelaide. The long red desert of the last four days has been replaced first by the golden wheat belt and then by the lush green paddocks of dairy farms. The previously flat horizon, now a rolling grass ocean peppered with the slow, steady turn of dozens of wind turbines. 
by the way, if anybody wants to take the GAN, I recommend writing a novel on it because it's a good tax deduction and it's quite expensive. That's not a line in the book. That's just... We should have been in Adelaide by now, but we've had to stop so the authorities can clean up the bodies. I say clean up, but I think the delay is mainly that they're having trouble finding them, or at least all of the pieces. So here I am with a head start on my writing. My name's Ernest Cunningham, and I've done this before. Written a book, that is, but also solved a series of murders. Here are some truths. Seven riders board a train. At the end of the line, five will leave it alive. One will be in cuffs. Body count, nine. And me, I don't kill anybody this time around. Let's get started. Chapter two. There was less dread instilled in witnessing the public murder, dare I say execution, of a fellow author than there was when my literary agent spotted me on the crowded train platform, elbowed her way through the throng and asked me, how's the new book coming? Thanks very much, everyone. Does anyone have any questions for Benjamin? <laughs> Don't forget that, that's the most important bit. <laughs> No, be, there will be a Q&A now. <laughs> Q&A now. Sorry. Oh, here I come. <laughs> Did you think up the brilliant title for the every member of my family? Because that was a brilliant, catchy title. Yes, yes. No, I started with that title. The title is very much the structure of the book, so uh, each section of the book is a different family member as I worked the way through the plot. So as soon as I came up with that title, I knew it would be the title. And the title sort of came independently from a plot, you know, I came up with it, and again, too hard draw. I'm like, that's a great title. I should write a book to match that. And then I thought, that sounds like a really hard book. And who would put themselves through that kind of chore? And I put it in the drawer. An interesting thing is that my first book, Greenlight, was published in the US and the UK. And both publishing houses over there wanted to change the title. So that book has three titles internationally. And it's very confusing if you go online to sort of buy them. You're not technically supposed to be able to buy the other editions in Australia, but they get through. So that book has three titles, which really kind of bugged me as an author um, just because it's a little bit confusing and people maybe would come to the events and they say, I thought I bought your new book, but I actually bought the old book that has a different title. Um, so with this one, I came up with everyone in my family's killed someone and we were talking about it and the conversation was, it's quite a long title, will it fit nicely on the cover of a book? And I thought, nobody's changing this title, I'm going to bake it into the DNA of the novel. So it's also the first sentence of the novel and it just goes from there. So um, when I handed it in, I sort of said, please don't change the title, I really love it and I think it'll work. And, and everyone agreed, which was good. Any further questions? Oh, over here. <laughs> oh, no, you're right. I was <laughs> waving. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else have any questions? Oh, one over there. Um, when, when you empty that drawer, um, was there a temptation to use everything up or did you want to hold something back just in case it was a sequel or a, a triquel? Yeah, that's a great question. Definitely didn't hold anything back. So family, when I wrote it, had every single idea I'd ever had and not used. So it's a very ambitious novel. I took a lot of risks. Some of them aren't in the final version because they didn't work. And, you know, sometimes the too hard ideas go into the too hard drawer, but you don't know if they're going to work or not until you try them, and they don't. Um, so when it came to writing the sequel, I did... I'd emptied that drawer and I thought, I'm going to start it again. But that was kind of part of my whole methodology, was like, I don't want to leave an idea and then think, oh, I should have done that, because I thought I'd be disappointed in myself. So, yeah, I used everything. Any further questions? Over here. There we are. 
There is a critic on the train, yes. So there's, there's Goodreads reviews, which play a part in the plot, and there's a group of... Um, there's a literary award-winning writer who's a real ponce and thinks he's really amazing. Um, and his name is Wolfgang. He only goes by one name, um, like Prince or Elmo, as I like to say. Um, and what he does... This is one of my favourite scenes in the novel is that Ernest, my narrator, come detective... He gets really excited about the structures of murder mysteries, so he's really excited that he's coming up to the denouement, as he calls it, and the literary writer keeps correcting him and saying denouement, and they keep getting into an argument during the denouement about the pronunciation of denouement. Anyway, it's a bit of fun. Um, Thanks very much. Um, It's pretty obvious how your comedy informs your writing. Is the, the reverse also apply, that your... Writing yeah. is in, informing your, your comedy, and do you have comedy on other subjects other than crime? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my comedy, I guess I do comedy with my identical twin brother. We're a double act. We sing songs. It's like Flight of the Concords kind of stuff. Um, Tim Minchin, Lena Woodley, kind of all bagged together. So my comedy is sort of about family and brotherhood. So everyone in my family has killed someone, sort of a natural kind of step from that. Um, but they do inform each other really, really well. Like I said, it's about tension, but also great comedy has to have different emotional levels. If I came up here and did a 10-minute set and made you all laugh for 10 minutes, um, that's great. But if you came and saw me at a theatre and I did that six times, even with different material, the energy would be all wrong because you'd be like, OK, well, I laughed really hard at his best material for 10 minutes. Oh, now we're just starting it again and we're just starting it again. So you've got to have things like pathos, you've got to have emotion, you've got to have twists, you've got to pull things back. But the real thing that it adds to comedy is that whenever I'm writing the novel and the novel's getting too funny, I put it down and I go to my piano and I write some comedy. And whenever I write comedy and the comedy's too dark, I put it down and I go to my laptop and I kill someone. So it kind of, (laughs) you know, it complements it that way. But I like to think it uses both halves of my brain and then when one gets tired, the other one's sort of telling me that it's ready to have a go. Writing novels is easier than writing comedy, though, just if anyone's wondering. <laughs> writing comedy is very, very hard for me. Any further questions? I have one small question. Will there be a threequel? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, there will be. Um, so I won't spoil who survives. Um, I mean, first-person narration, how spoilery can you get? But... Um, I'm committed to writing in the Everyone series, that I'm calling it. So everyone in my family has killed someone, everyone on this train is a suspect, and the next one is called Everyone in This Something is a Something. So that's all you're getting. <laughs> Any further questions? Well, in that case, we'll wrap up. With, join me in thanking Benjamin again for joining us here today. Thanks, everyone. We hope you have enjoyed spending your time with us. Catch up with more of our audio recordings and relive the discussion, insights and laughter of Writers at Stanton. To find out more about our other events and programs, please visit www.northsydney.nsw.gov.au forward slash library. Thank you for listening. Thank you.